Welcome to Finding Fair Health. If there is someone who is going to make a big difference in tackling health inequalities, then this is someone who I am so pleased is leading and pushing forward the agenda on this. Dr Bola Owalabi. An absolute pleasure to listen to, a values-based leader by example, and someone who you would want in any meeting, because watch out, she won't let you leave a conversation without some meaningful action points, and rightly so. It was an absolute privilege to record this, and I hope you all enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Finding Fair Health. Um, this is a really, really exciting episode today. We have someone who has such an important role and is leading on some incredible work in tackling health inequalities at a local system and national level across the country. Introducing Dr. Bola Oralabi, Director of National Healthcare Inequalities Improvement Programme at NHS England and Improvement. Welcome, Bola. It's really nice to have you on here. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. No problem at all. And Bola, this is now a permanent role, so congratulations. That's absolutely Thank brilliant. You. I'm so really so pleased that this is a team that exists and has been watching your work for a while now. So it's absolutely brilliant. How are you doing today, Bola? How are you? Are you okay? I'm very well, thank you. And um, I'm, I'm really coming with the energy of a fantastic conversation um, that I've had with our colleagues, our deep end GPs um, from Scotland. So I'm really good, thank you. And uh, it's just brilliant to see everybody trying so hard in this space. Oh, brilliant. I'm so pleased. Um, that's great. So, um, Bolo, I've just introduced you and, uh, and been talking about your new role. Can you just tell us a little bit about this? Um, so, in NHS England and Improvement, um, one of our organisational priorities is to tackle healthcare inequalities. And so we've set out a vision, which is exceptional quality healthcare for all um, by ensuring equitable access, excellent experience, and optimal outcomes. So myself and my team work with lots of other individuals, teams, just colleagues right across NHS England, the NHS and into the wider community to make that vision happen. So that's what we do. That's amazing. And I, I don't know about you, but I feel like there's a, an, an element of excitement around all of this at the moment. And I, I know you're coming to this conversation, I can see with some passion and um, drive to try and improve things around this space. And I'm really excited about that. What, what is it about your current role that makes you feel so passionate about this? I think it's the fact that for me, this is the culmination of many years of trying to address health inequalities in my different roles. And this role in NHS England feels like such a massive opportunity, you know, to bring all of that passion to see improvement in this space, actually translate that from passion and commitment and energy into real 
you know, real improvement on the ground for our patients and our communities who often find themselves at the margins of society. I'm coming into this role with just a sense of just what an amazing opportunity we have to make a true difference in the lives of countless numbers of people all across this country. That's what it's about for me, the opportunity to make a positive difference at scale. That's amazing. And I can see by the way you're talking about this that you really do care. And that's really, really great to see, um, Bola. So NHS E&I released the Core 20 plus 5 approach. And I know that's come from your team largely. And uh, great to hear a little bit more about that, if that's okay. Thank you. So um, before I kind of um, explain Core 20 plus 5 itself, uh, it might help for me to just um, give a little bit of context. So the thing that um, our listeners will hopefully agree with me is that health inequalities are not new. You know, they, they've been with us way before the pandemic. But of course, what the COVID-19 pandemic has done is to make them several folds worse. And it's also really highlighted them and perhaps brought health inequalities to the attention of many more people than were aware of it prior to the pandemic. And when you think about that, that health inequalities have been with us for decades. The question is, why has it been so challenging to make significant progress? Especially when we talk about healthcare inequalities, you know, i.e., inequalities in access, in experience, in outcomes, you know, from healthcare. Why has it been so challenging to kind of wrap our arms around it? and make the degree of progress that we all want to make. So a lot of fantastic work has been done, but there is opportunity to do even more. And the thing that will help us to do even more are three things. We need to have focus because when we get focus, it's easier to gain traction. And when you gain traction, impact becomes easier. And so what Core 20 plus 5 as a vehicle for tackling healthcare inequalities is trying to do is to bring focus, traction, impact. And so in Core 20 plus 5, we split into two components. One is a population component and the second is a clinical component. So we are asking each one of our 42 integrated care systems to know who their core 20 plus population are. So the core 20 are the 20% most deprived using the index of multiple deprivation. 
plus inclusion health groups, people experiencing homelessness, our traveler communities, ethnic minority communities, people in contact with the criminal justice system. And once you identify your core 20 plus population, we want to drive improvement in five clinical areas to begin with. So cardiovascular disease, cancer, chronic respiratory disease, mental health, and maternity. So effectively, that is what Core 20 plus 5 is, as a powerful delivery engine so that we have focus, traction, impact in tackling healthcare inequalities. Thanks, Bede. And that sounds fantastic because it really, um, I'm reading about this myself, it really gives some clarity in kind of where, where we can go and where we can actually make a difference. What's different about this to previous approaches? So I think in the past, um, we've worked really hard to address health inequalities, but sometimes our energy has been dispersed. And you know what happens when energy gets dissipated? It's not as effective as it could be. So then people expend a huge amount of energy and time, but don't get a lot back by way of results. So what we're trying to do differently this time is to bring that sort of much more defined approach, bring more coherence, bring more simplicity and clarity so that everybody can galvanize around something that is clear, that is simple, that is evidence-based, and that feel, fills people with a sense of energy that they can actually do something. Because sometimes the problem with health inequalities is that it's so broad and it can be so complex that people feel disempowered and kind of think, I don't even know where to start. So hopefully Core 20 plus 5 gives people a place to start that is evidence-based and that is clear and easy to follow. Yeah, thank you. And I know this has been specifically directed at integrated care systems. And I think that what I'm interested in really is, I suppose there's a national drive for this and also within the, the, the 42 integrated care systems. but what can we do on a primary care level? Are there things that can kind of wrap around sure. the core 20 plus five to try and help this be implemented? Absolutely. So primary care networks are the heart of their communities. And primary care networks are part of integrated care systems. So when I say integrated care system, I absolutely include the PCNs. And of course, we know that the PCNs are the groups of the individual practices that are right in the center and the heart of the community. And as a GP myself, you know, everything I do in my national role is guided and driven 
by the individual patients that I see week in, week out. And so I see the PCNs being front and center and central to our ability to make this go from a statement into reality. Absolutely. And so in terms of how, how might that happen, I think there is something about our personal interactions with our patients, being mindful of the social determinants in people's lives that drive health inequalities. That's one level of action. A second level of action is the professional level, whereby as the PCNs get together to think about what are our priorities, what are we really going to drive after, making health inequalities central to PCN priority is crucial, especially making it tangible through the core 20 plus 5 approach. So that is at a professional level. Also at a professional level, it's about equipping ourselves with the knowledge, the skills and the capabilities. So for example, I know that Fair Health, you've published a number of education modules. We've also worked with the Royal College of GPs to develop health inequalities education modules. So professionally, there is something about equipping ourselves with the knowledge of what health inequalities are, why they are, and how they manifest in the lives of the patients we're trying to help. So I think there is a personal and a professional level of action that we as GPs, that we as PCNs, can really bring into this space. And finally, I think there is the space of supporting our colleagues, you know, supporting the workforce to be able to see the difference that they can make. Because people work incredibly hard, as you know, <laughs> in general practice. It's about that instilling a sense of everything you're doing in primary care is making a difference. And we can do more. And here is how we can do more and putting those resources and support systems in place for people to be able to drive even further. That's how I see it working really, but interested to hear your thoughts too. Yeah, Bolo, I totally agree with you. And I think there's a huge amount we can do um, as GPs, uh, both professionally and within our consultations. And I completely agree with you. Um, I, I do wonder about your role at a national level, I guess there's some opportunity there. I'd, I would be interested to hear what you think about resource. So I'm, I'm, by resource, I'm kind of meaning around funding and workforce development. And I think so many times when I speak to GPs and healthcare professionals working within the community and working with P, within PCNs, the question quite often comes back to what can happen at a national level um, with regards to funding and workforce. And I wonder where you see that, because obviously there's the top down approach of thinking about how we can make a difference. But also there's the grassroots stuff that you've just been talking about, which is so important as well. But be really sure. interested to hear where you yeah. kind of think from a top down approach. So so I would say from a from a national perspective, um, there are three things. One is we need to set a very clear direction, which I hope we are doing and will continue to do. The second is to create a culture of improvement. 
there's something about the way we talk about health inequalities that needs to be more strength based rather than focusing on everything that is wrong. So from a national perspective, we can set or shape a culture of improvement. And then thirdly, it's that bit around, you know, um, capacity. And within capacity, I will put in funding and workforce. And so within that space then, from a funding point of view, there are some brilliant pieces of work that are happening. For example, in Leicester, Leicestershire and Rutland, Dr. David Shepherd, working with Nikki Briggs, who is the CCG Director of Finance, have done some amazing work on their general practice funding as a system and how to orientate that funding in a way that addresses need. Now, that is an example of a system that has taken ownership of the situation, mobilized the voices and the will of the GPs in the system to make it happen. The reason I'm sharing that example is that there are things absolutely that we need to do from a national perspective, but we also need to be aware of just how powerful we are at a system level to make a difference. That's why I'm flagging that example. And of course, working with my colleagues in primary care, you know, in the national team and thinking about, okay, what is it that COF can do? What is it that the IIF can do? What is it that the con contract more broadly can do in service of tackling health inequalities? And we're having those conversations and we'll continue to have them. Also in terms of workforce, one of the conversations that I've been involved in is around, if you look at different publications, whether that's the King's Fund report, it's old now, but it's still relevant back in 2010. And there is an even more recent report only in this last year, you know, talking about the inverse proportionality between deprivation and workforce distribution. So working in tandem, between NHS England and Improvement, Health Education England, our PCN colleagues, what are the things that we can do? Learning from other countries and learning from other systems. What can we do to reverse that inverse proportionality of deprivation and workforce distribution? It's absolutely within our gift to be able to have those conversations and move from conversation into action to say, okay, these are the things that seem to have worked in other places. How might we be able to transfer some of that learning into our own system and drive that forward? So those are two live discussions for me. Um, and bear in mind, I'm always humble about this. It's not something that I as a lone individual can somehow um, you know, flip a switch and all of these, will, these things will happen. But what I can do is to bring people around to have the discussion, people who can make the difference and work in collaboration to push the dial in the right direction. Definitely. And that sounds really interesting, Bola. And I, th I yeah, there's so many of those things there that I'm, I'm so pleased you're thinking about. And it's really great to hear. I think it's interesting. You, you mentioned when you were talking about what we can do as GPs within our consultations and kind of professionally around the social determinants of health. And I think you, you mentioned collaboration and bringing people together just then as well. And I do just wonder at a national level, 
in tackling health inequalities, in my mind, there's so many people who are relevant and so many people involved. How do you think about your stakeholders in all of this? And how do you ensure you're getting stakeholder engagement? Because I can imagine that must be so hard. So, you know, the, the, the fundamental question is how do you get things done? Because, you know, the, 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 the best ideas, they die on the vine if you don't work out how to get things done. And we will never get anything done, including tackling health inequalities, unless we invest time, effort, energy, enthusiasm, and humility in engaging with our stakeholders. Those are my guiding principles. And so how does my day look like? Most of my day, when I'm not at the surgery, is filled with speaking to individuals, organizations, and communities about what can you do to help us achieve our common purpose. So first of all, help people to get to a place of understanding that this is not your vision or your purpose. This is our shared purpose. Our shared purpose is to address and tackle and narrow health inequalities. This is what I can bring. I would be ever so grateful to hear what you can bring. And once I've heard what you can bring, so what are we going to do at the end of this meeting by way of action to get that done? And yes, it's incredibly time consuming. It's incredibly energy tasking. But without it, all we will do is have lots of lovely conversations, publish many excellent reports, and nothing will change. So for me, my number one job is to absolutely galvanize everybody's energy to help them bring their contribution to the table to move us to where we need to get to. So stakeholder engagement for me is not a nice to have. It's the engine that gets the work done. It's the heart of what I do. Um, and sometimes, you know, for those who think meetings are a waste of time, I encourage you to think again. It's not the meeting that is the problem. It's the quality of the conversations that we have. If we go into every conversation purposefully, you know, what is it? Like when we started this discussion before we went live, I said, what would be useful for us to cover? And I start all my conversations like that. What would be useful to you? What would be useful to me? And what would be useful to our shared purpose? And then let's start from there and always finish with a set of actions that we're going to take forward. That's how to translate conversation and stakeholder engagement into meaningful action. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, I um, particularly like the ending there of kind of 
creating some actions because I can think of so many meetings where I've come out of where there um, aren't actions at the end of it so um, I'm hoping we can come up with some actions at the end of this. <laughs> that would be good. So yeah following on from that I suppose thinking about from your point of view in um, all of this what and I think um, you um, talking about some actions and how you get stakeholder engagement there is really relevant to this is what does success look like for you in five years time or even 10 years time how would you how will you know that the core 20 plus five and the work you're doing at a national level has succeeded so what does success look like in five years let's take five years in relation to core 20 plus five number one that we are diagnosing our cancers early at stage one or two, 75% of the time. That's one. Two, that women from the most deprived areas and women from our ethnic minority communities have continuity of maternity carer 75% of the time that people living with severe mental illness are getting their annual physical health checks with meaningful follow-on action 75% of the time, that the 4.3 million people who have high blood pressure that we have not yet diagnosed, that we've made significant inroads in finding them, and that we've optimized their blood pressure management and the management of the blood pressure of those already on our registers. That we get to a place in chronic respiratory disease where people living with COPD are being supported to have their COVID, their flu, and their pneumovax vaccine so that we're reducing preventable mortality in relation to these five clinical areas. That is what good looks like to me in five years in relation to core 20 plus five. Brilliant. And so it's great to see that you've got you've got um, a really ambitious, but also really focused, as you say um, before, focused target for all of that. Are you um I know I know from the way you're saying it that you're feeling positive about achieving this, but it'd be interested to know what kind of barriers you're facing in terms of achieving this. Um, they're not barriers. You know, in every change effort, there are challenges and challenges are there to be overcome. And in any change effort, including the effort to tackle and narrow health inequalities, the first challenge often is that of inertia. Sometimes when a situation is very broad and very complex, as I was saying earlier on, that situation can create inertia, a sense of helplessness. And the first challenge is to help people overcome that sense of helplessness. The second challenge is sometimes in the absence of vision, it becomes difficult for people and communities to know what to come together to support. 
And that's why one of the first things we did was to set out a clear vision, exceptional quality healthcare for all by ensuring equitable access, excellent experience, optimal outcomes. One of the challenges of bringing about change is creating a compelling, powerful, ambitious, and positive picture of the future. Yeah. That's the other challenge. The third challenge can often be around resourcing. How do you resource your change? And it goes back to the stakeholder conversation we had earlier on. Many times we think all the resources sit with us as the person trying to lead the change. 100% of the time, that's not correct. So it's about thinking through what are the resources that we need and who are the stakeholders that we need to absolutely get on our side in order to access those resources. And never to be in a position of saying, oh, because we don't have the resources, we're now not going to be able to do X and to reframe barriers into challenges that are there to be overcome. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah I really like that reframing. I'm, I'm thinking about this from a healthcare professional early on in their career um, point of view. And what can I and what can health professionals early on in their career do to support all of this? If coming in and talking about stakeholder engagement, I guess we're some of your stakeholders, aren't we? So it's how, Absolutely. how, can, Absolutely. how can we support you with all of this going forward? So, and thank you for that question. First of all, it's that personal piece that I was talking about earlier. You know, the next time a patient turns up and let's say, for example, their blood pressure is not being controlled, rather than thinking, what is the other antihypertensive I need to add? Let's pause for a moment. Can they afford the one that I prescribed last month? Maybe the reason their blood pressure is not being controlled is they actually can't afford the medication that I've just prescribed. Let's think about people in the wider context of their circumstances. Because what that will do is it will lead to deeper compassion, deeper empathy, better clinical management decision making. That's the first thing that every GP, regardless of the stage in our career, can do to support the effort at a personal level. At a professional level, all the resources that we are creating and building, let's make it our business to access those resources, deepen our knowledge, increase our capability, to support our people and our communities. Thirdly, still at a professional level, let's make it the core business of our PCNs that we will make progress in tackling health inequalities by using all the resources in the PCN, all our colleagues, our social prescriber link workers. They have such deep reach into people's lives oftentimes more than us as GPs. You know, it's about using 
the entire resources within the PCN are clinical pharmacists, you know, our first contact practitioners, everyone, and using them, and I don't like the word using, but working with them in a collaborative way because they bring something additional, different but additional and incremental to our efforts. Those are the three layers of support that would be absolutely wonderful from general practice and primary care more broadly. Thank you, Bola, and I completely agree with all of those things, so thank you, and I know that I personally and um, through Fair Health um, will be working on all three of those things um, going forward, particularly over the next few months, so thank you, and so that's something that I'm hoping we can carry on working towards together, so thank you. Absolutely. Bola, but before I move on to my last final few questions, I just want to ask you briefly about leadership, because you are leading such an important goal, it's such an important um, I don't project sounds like a too small a word for, the, for all of this because it's it's just huge and you're becoming a role model a role model for someone like me thinking about how I can tackle health inequalities but you're also flying a flag for all women and also for BAME women how does that feel? I think it's about seizing the moment it's about seizing, seizing the moment and making the best contribution of your life in the moment. Whether or not you are a role model is secondary. Um, you know, people will call you, describe you, what you mean to them. So you can't, you can't control that, but what you can control, what you can influence is what you bring to the opportunities that present themselves to you. I am in no way, shape or form perfect, far from it, but what I do try and do Whatever opportunity I'm given, I pour my whole self into it. Everything, lock, stock and barrel. And that's why I, I, I try to only follow opportunities that align with my values. Because when it aligns with my values, it's not work. I don't experience it as work. I experience it as opportunity. And because I experience it as opportunity, I am able to invest all of me into making the most of that particular moment in time. So that's what I will say. And yes, others may then experience that as you being a role model, which is great. But the central thesis of it, follow your values, invest your whole self and leave the rest. I know listeners can't see this because we're, um, <laughs> we're just doing this as audio, but I can see by the, 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 the drive and the passion on your face, just how much you care about all of this, but also just how much you enjoy the work you're, you're doing. So that's amazing. I love the work that I do. <laughs> that's good to see. <laughs> 
Um, so, Bola, to finish, um, I always ask two questions. So the, the first of those last questions is one book or learning resource you'd recommend to someone who's interested in tackling health inequalities? If you're going to read one thing, I would say go and read Professor Michael Marmot's report, which is Build Back Fairer. It really is a seminal report. Um, start there. And then you might want to look at Marmot's 2010 report on health inequalities and his 2020, 10 years on. Um, if you can assemble those three and um, know your way around them, then you would have made significant progress in understanding what we're about. Thank you. Thank you, Bola. We had um, uh, Michael Marmot on the podcast um, a few years ago when he had the um, when the 10 years on report just came out. So we've um, yeah, it's brilliant to hear some of his work. So if anyone wants to listen and go back to listen to that, that's also something to listen to. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Bola. And then my final question is one magic genie wish um, to anything you choose. So you can ask the genie anything um, to try and tackle health inequalities if you could. What would that one wish be? In five years, make all of those goals that we've set out for Core 20 plus five happen. Let it be real. Let it be that the people and communities who suffer the most disadvantage have noticed a tangible, palpable, measurable difference for good in their lives. That's my wish. Oh, I wish that too. I wish that too, Bola. So thank you. Um, Bola, thank you so much for your time. And um, I'm coming away from this with, as you say, coming away from a conversation with actions. I've, I've got I've got my actions here. So thank you. Um, Super. <laughs> and um, I um, yeah, really enjoyed speaking to you. So thank you very much. <laughs> Rachel, it's been lovely speaking with you and thank you for the invitation. And um, I wish you well and all our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Further podcast episodes, modules, blog posts, and more educational resources are available on the Fair Health website at www.fairhealth.org.uk. If you enjoyed the episode, please do subscribe so you're updated when we release more episodes. It's always lovely to hear from you. And thank you for all the comments and feedback we've had about the podcast over the last few years. Please get in touch via Twitter at FairHealthUK or at RMSteam. We're really looking forward to you joining us next time on our journey to finding fair health.